Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short-term rental professionals. You're listening to an episode of The Host Show. I am your host, Jasper Rivers, and we release a new episode of this show every single Monday. And in these episodes, I interview Airbnb hosts from all around the world to share their stories and provide tips and tricks on how to get started and be successful as an Airbnb host. Now, this episode is brought to you by Legends X, our 90-day short-term rental accelerator program that's designed to help you skill your hosting business by getting yourself out of the daily operations. So that frees up your time so you can become the CEO of your business instead of the manager and really focus on those higher level tasks that move the needle and allow you to grow. So for more information about Legends X and how to join, visit strlegends.com X. Now let's dive into today's episode. Enjoy the show. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 544 of Get Paid for Your Pet. Today I have a fellow podcast host. And also the head of leadership development at the Rent Responsibly, Dana Lupner. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jasper. I'm stoked to be here. Thanks for having me on. That's right. And we're going to talk about a very sexy topic today, correct? Very sexy. <laughs> SDR <laughs> regulations. But we're not going to make it boring. We're going to talk about actionable stuff that we can do as hosts. We're going to talk about the benefits of starting our own short-term rental alliance, because there is a lot of benefits of doing that, right? And it can be fun. Tell me it can be fun. I promise you it can be fun. Otherwise, I would not be doing this for the last three, four years. Awesome. Well, give us a quick introduction. I know you're very active in the short-term rental space. You do a lot of different things. So tell us all about it. Yeah. So I'll make this the bulleted quick and dirty, but... uh, Yeah, I found myself falling in love with the industry when I joined my brother Taylor Hills' company, Effortless Rental Group, in Denver, Colorado. I was bringing on properties. It was shortly thereafter I fell in love with the industry that we realized that we were under attack from enforcement and regulations from the city. And fast forward, you know, six months of not knowing if our family business was going to survive. We ended up starting our own short-term rental local alliance called the Mile High Hosts, along with other hosts and property managers in the area. We hosted a bunch of events. I eventually ended up starting a podcast all about advocacy with Matt Landau. We are on our third season now, and I'd love to share with you more about that later. And then eventually in the fall of 2020, when the world had turned upside down and it felt like the industry had got pulled into a rip curl or something of the sort, I decided to join Rent Responsibly, where I've been for the last few years, working directly with local alliance leaders, helping them organize and mobilize and become advocates of the industry within their communities. Awesome. And we had we had your partner, David Kraus, at Rent Responsibly. I think he's been on the podcast before as well. So we, we are very good friends of him. So give us, give us a, before we dive into this, this topic, give us a quick overview of what's happening in the, in the short-term rental regulations landscape. Like what are the trends that are going on right now? 
Yeah, you know, I think what happened with the pandemic is it forced a lot of these conversations into City Hall that maybe were not as much of a top priority. They're maybe lower in the stack of what was something that policy want makers wanted to address. And so as travel trends changed and preferences around finding accommodations with space to spread out, places became more popular that weren't necessarily considered a legacy destination or a place that was on the map prior, you know, we started to see communities sort of adjust with these travel trends, making new waves. And so short-term rentals, I think, is one of the most contentious topics, not the most, but one of the most that's happening at the town and city municipality level across and state level across our country and around the world. I had the honor and privilege to go to the Vacation Rental World Summit in Portugal last year. And it was really refreshing in kind of a, in a discomforting way that a lot of the problems that we're facing in the U.S. are problems that communities are facing across the globe. So I think with any problem, there's an opportunity. So I, I'm really excited about where we're seeing these trends from 2022 that will probably carry into 2023, there's a big opportunity for us to unite forces with others at a more global scale to try to solve some of these challenges. And so the trends that I'm seeing from last year, I'd say is top of mind is the correlation to housing affordability being solved by regulating short-term rentals. And we've seen that with the shifting trends of where people want to live, the ability for folks to work from home or work from anywhere, there's just this massive migration and shifting of what people will prefer to call home. And I think that's caused there to be an exasperation on the affordable housing that we've seen that's been in existence for some time. And I think that, unfortunately, policymakers aren't considering some more I'd say structural changes and economic changes that they could be doing to address housing affordability. I think that short-term rentals are becoming that scapegoat. So we're seeing a lot of regulations, a lot of dialogue, a lot of discourse and narratives about how short-term rentals are one of the biggest you know, factors that are causing our affordability crisis. Some of the other trends that I'm seeing with regulations is the desire to do caps on the number of short-term rentals that can exist within a community. So for example, in Virginia Beach, they created overlays. So certain areas of Virginia Beach are allowed to have short-term rentals where other areas are not. For example, in Steamboat, they did overlays where there were percentages throughout the community within certain overlays that they were considered more tourist-friendly versus not tourist-friendly. So we're seeing a lot of caps and overlays with regulations. And then I'd say even caps on occupancy, which I think takes that stance of a little bit more on that health, health and safety lens. So what is a reasonable occupancy limit within a home? based on the number of bedrooms and bathrooms and so forth. I'd say some, those would be the first, I'd say things that come to mind as far as some of the trends I've noticed from last year that I anticipate will be happening again this year. Yeah. And I would say like having a cap on the amount of short-term rental licenses that they give out, you know, that, that can also be an advantage, right? Like, cause what, what we see is there's markets where like there's no cap and then 
you know, we see some of our members in our community, they're complaining of like there's way too much supply hitting the market and it's really, you know, driving prices down. Right. So that's kind of like, yeah, if you, if you already have the license then it's, it's a good, it's a good thing, right. To have that cap there. I remember in Amsterdam, when I first started renting out, this is like six, seven years ago, when they started talking about the regulations there, I also felt like Airbnb was really the scapegoat. You know, they were talking about like the rents going up. And I remember looking at historic rents and like rents have always been going up even before Airbnb was there, you know? And I've seen some studies as well that that really the effect of of the short rentals on the on rent prices is very 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 small like is that what you're seeing as well is is really is, is there some substance to this argument or is it really scapegoating literally right before we jumped on jasper i received an email from air dna about a report that they just did that dives into this topic it's called effects of short term rentals on local housing prices and rents and it's a literature survey. So I literally just got it from them and I'm dying to dive in and read all about this because this is a topic that has just given me so much angst and heartburn because it's such a bigger picture than short-term rentals being the solution. And it gives me pain to know that there is a housing affordability crisis and we're not pursuing the solutions that can actually alleviate this. I think it goes beyond the area of expertise in which I dance in. But my understanding is there's been this crisis for some time and we're not structuring zoning laws. We're not incentivizing developers and builders. We're actually creating more barriers. We have cost of supplies and materials that continue to go up. There's the nimbyism. We've got zoning laws that are outdated. And so the list goes on. And my concern is if we don't start addressing those things and we think we're going to see a change by requiring a $2 million home to no longer be allowed to short-term rent to be part of the solution to the housing affordability, we're only just kicking that can down the road that much further to actually find a solution. So, you know, we're seeing, like you mentioned, rent prices continually go up if you look at a longer map and a picture, a graph of seeing that. And then we've got communities like Denver where they just published something saying there's an abundance of inventory. And so actually in urban destinations, we're starting to see rent prices go down because of these new preferences and where people are choosing to live. So it's all over the map. And again, an example in Denver, we have a primary residence requirement. It's for me, I still have a really hard time wrapping my mind around this because we could solve for all of those concerns through a different route versus a primary residence requirement. But they said part of the reason they were doing that was to protect our housing affordability, right? So we have less than 1% of our housing that is a licensed short-term rental. The challenge is we still have a housing affordability crisis in Denver. So it's not going to be that silver bullet to find those solutions. So we really need to be shifting the conversation because it's an important one to the solutions that will actually make an impact. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's a much it's a much bigger conversation that goes way beyond just short-term rentals, right? All right. Well, let's let's dive into some more actionable stuff. Like, well, you know, I know through rent responsibly has a ton of resources to help local hosts connect with you know, alliances in their marketplace or start their own, right? So let's start with, um, yeah, let's start with like, you know, how do we connect? How do we find like the local alliance in our in our marketplace? And like, what can we do as individual hosts or property managers to, to support 
the conversation and the you know the actions towards influencing the policymakers. So I'd say the first thing you want to do is find out if there is a local alliance in your community. There's a couple ways to do that, but I'd say Google is a great place to start. But even better than that, Rent Responsibly has an alliance directory that has a handful of the alliances. I don't know what the total number are that we're up to right now that you can find on our website. So you go and it's sorted by state and then see if there's an alliance and reach out to your alliance and say, hey, how do I become a member? Or hey, how, how do I volunteer my time or my resources? And then if you don't have one in existence, like there are resources on our website on exactly how to build a local alliance, everything down from down to how to brand your local alliance, naming your local alliance, website, social media, all the things as a checklist. I mean, the work we're doing at Rent Responsibly is exactly the stuff that I needed when I started along with a few other folks, the Mile High hosts. So when I started it, I was doing client acquisition, working for a property management company. And I was like, this is not part of my day to day. I don't have time to like recreate a whole process and a system, but I know it has to be done. And so now we've built the tools and resources that's like consider it a, a playbook of exactly what you need to do to start a local alliance. Uh, the local alliance, having that professional and responsible, positive representation of your hosting community is going to be what the impression of the policymakers, the decision makers see. So when you say, you know, okay, how do I build relationships and bridges with policymakers? What you do is you're not afraid of them. At the end of the day, your tax paying dollars is what pays their salary. Like they, in an essence, work for you. Obviously speak with them to them respectfully, but there's nothing to be afraid of. And it's totally a normal if you do get nervous, whether you're giving public testimony or you're walking into the Capitol and you're kind of got that jitters, reframe those jitters as I'm not nervous, I'm excited and I'm a badass. And so when you get together with a policymaker saying, hey, my name's Dana Lubner and I'm with the national, the nonprofit organization, the Mile High Hosts. We're a group of professional and responsible hosts in Denver, Colorado. And I just want the opportunity to get to learn and listen to you share with me about what are your biggest concerns you're hearing about short-term rentals in our community and then stop talking. Because you might have an agenda and you might have a long list of grievances. You might have issues that are, you know, really upsetting to you or proposals for an ordinance that could really impede your business. But at the end of the day, you're trying to build a relationship with that policymaker and you want to listen to them show their hand to you before you know what you maybe want to say in response. And traditionally, if you can get a meeting with these folks, it's like 30 minutes. It's not a long amount of time. So if you really plan on listening more than you speak, it's a best practice and a great way to start building rapport. Then you follow up with them then the next time and say, hey, I really gave some thought to some of the things you brought up to me. So not all of your listeners probably have short-term rentals or have properties in the areas in which they are full-time residents. They might have a property that's an investment property. So those folks might be like, well, what do I do? Because I'm not a constituent of that policymaker. Maybe I live in two states over. And the biggest and most important message I can share with those folks is you still have an ability to make impact. So as Toby Babbage, the past president of the VRMA and the president of the Summit County Group in Colorado, always said is you can donate your time, your money, 
or your resources. So if you don't have time to be on the board of, a, of an alliance and be on the leadership team, maybe you have money. Maybe you're just too busy and you're already trying to manage your, your own day-to-day life. And you can say, you know what? I don't have the time to meet monthly or a couple times a month, but I'm going to be willing to, to donate money. I can give you guys 5K to help seed this organization get started, or I'm willing to pay for a membership to put money to be a part of this organizational movement. And then resources. If you don't have time, money, hey, donate resources. Like one of the groups we work with in Arizona, like the most incredible group ever. I'm just in love with these guys. They're so engaged and so passionate. But one of the leaders, John Hildebrand, he has a virtual assistant that helps him with a lot of his business. And so he's like, you know what? I'm going to donate some of my hours of my virtual assistant to help with some of these activities that we need to do. So it could be things like donating resources along those lines or donating a stay or cleaning service to the mission of what that organization is trying to do to correct its image within the community. I love hearing that. John was actually part of one of our courses. Awesome. So, yeah, he was he's great. He always brought like amazing energy. So shout out to shout out to Hill, John Hildebrandt. Appreciate what you what you what you're doing. Awesome. So first of all, <laughs> uh, rentresponsibly.org is it, right? Rentresponsibly.org. I'm looking at the website right now and there's a ton a ton of resources. Highly recommend even if you're not planning to to start your own alliance or if you're not planning to be active I would highly recommend check out the website because there's so many resources on there. There's a directory of alliances. There's even a course. There's a course on how to start your own alliance. Even that's, that's amazing. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So that was the playbook that I referenced in the beginning, like the whole, like exactly how to start it. But then we have a how-to guide on how to start your own 501c6, how to take your alliance to the next level so that you can start collecting membership dues and get that nonprofit status that really helps you gain some clout within the community. Like everyone or almost everyone knows about, you know, the National Realtors Association, or when you reach out to candidates that are running for council and you say, hey, we want to have host an event with you, or maybe it's a candidate forum and you say, you know, we are the Denver Metro Chamber of Realtors. Things like that carry clout. And so as the alliance becomes more established and is built for sustainability, the group will want to become a 501c6. A 501c6 classification allows the organization to charge member dues. So think of any other organization like the chamber, you know, that is a 501c6, a trade association so that membership dues can be collected. And the reason that you'd want to charge membership dues is so that you have financial means to be able to do things that the Alliance may already have on its horizon or may not yet know it needs to do. So one of the things I I hear more often than not these days is we wish we started raising money sooner. We wish we had money in our piggy bank. And we now know why we need it, but we didn't at the time when we were first getting started. And so you may use money to, you know, finance legal counsel, if you are considering pursuing a lawsuit because of some proposed regulations or regulations that were recently passed, we're seeing that happen a lot more often. 
or if you're looking to hire an executive director, or if you want to do a PR campaign or hire a lobbyist, there's tons of ways in which financial means are going to be really beneficial to the group. So that resource tells people the steps they need to do to become a 501c6. Yeah, and I'm looking at the guide right here. I've never heard of that term, by the way, 501c6. <laughs> but So learn something new every every single episode. I'm looking at the guide here, right? The It's called Building a Self-Sustainable Short-Term Rental Alliance, the ultimate guide. And it, it has a, it looks like pretty comprehensive all the way from getting started, the foundation, the tech tools, making your vision a reality, how to recruit members, building a leadership term team. I mean, it almost sounds like that's, that would be a good course to go through for any, any entrepreneur. Oh, Yeah. It's And that's the idea, like what we've been learning over the last few years, working hand in hand with a handful of alliances is these resources that we're putting up on our website so that folks that wanted that are self-starters that, you know, we can't help everyone that has regulations happening. And so what we do have now is a resource library and courses and classes and events and webinars. So no, it's a really comprehensive guide. Awesome. I think there's also... All our benefits, because you know, like when I talk to hosts, I, there's always two objections, and you know, when it comes to this stuff, it's like, oh, I don't have time, and you know, people feel like, okay, what what's the benefit, you know, of putting so much time into that? And I think there's there's a benefit there, right? Because you know, one thing that we always like to recommend to people, and, and we teach in our programs, is like it's very important to establish yourself as an expert in your marketplace, right? That's the go-to person when it comes to short-term rentals, because then you know people will come to you because they start seeing you as that authority, right? So, can you touch a little bit on that? On like you know how starting your own alliance, other than like taking responsibility and helping our industry, also has like secondary benefits. Oh my God, absolutely! And I'd say you know. Hopefully, John Hildebrand, when he when he connected with you guys, spoke to some of this. But I'd say any of the business owners that are on the board of AZRT, which is Arizonans for Responsible Tourism, they're a statewide coalition that we work with. They would say, yeah, it's a lot of work, but you become so invested in your community and you learn to care about your community in a whole new way. So the satisfaction within oneself is a benefit. But then as you're talking about the ability for these people to be the face and the voice of the movement within the industry for wherever they're located is such a massive opportunity, you know. The Arizona group has been putting on a series of webinars as they get ready for the Super Bowl to be hosted in the state this in the next couple of weekends. And so what they're doing is trying to get everybody to understand if you're a first time host and you're trying to capitalize upon the opportunity, what you can do to be a responsible host and best practices. And all of those leaders that are leading this effort are getting stage time. They're getting quoted in media articles. They're getting their business name out there. And that stuff starts creating Google search results. And so as somebody is looking at which property management company do I want to go with, and they Google things on the internet, they start to see like, oh my God, this company is so involved. Like it happened with Effortless Rental Group. It was like we were helping put on the Good Neighbor Summit and helping be a, you know, an advocate of responsible best practices and all of these things. So it brings visibility to your organization. But I think it creates partnerships and opportunities for property managers to have relationships with other businesses within the community. 
And so as you start to say, you know, who are our, who are our allies, you can find out businesses that you can start recommending to your membership base, to your other alliance members, and ways in which you can start to, to strengthen those ties within the community, because there's going to be a time and a place where you need to say, hey, can you help us? We've got to fight these bad regs that are potentially going to be passed in the next, you know, month or so. And so it's very cyclical. It's a, you know, it has a flywheel effect when you decide to really dedicate to yourself to leadership. But I'd say, I don't think people regret it. You just have to have a, a good, strong team that you can share the workload with. One, one last question is, can we actually make like a real impact? Are there, are there case studies from people who've actually successfully you know, influence the policymakers. Absolutely. I think, I think the biggest thing I would say to be mindful of, or one of the biggest things is celebrate the small wins because you maybe won't have that big landslide win. Like we overthrew the whole regulation. It's free reign and there's no rules. Yay. (laughs) Like that's never going to happen. But if you can say, okay, a really bad proposal was on the table. They were considering limiting our short-term rental calendar window to 30 days in the calendar year. But what we did instead was we limited it to 183 days. Consider that a micro win. So I would suggest for anybody that's involved in advocacy, hopefully everyone knows that they need to get involved with advocacy, to really be mining and tracking those small wins because that's going to be what is able to kind of have a ripple effect across the nation because we see enough cities that are looking at Denver going, well, they have primary residents and they have a high compliance rate. So maybe that's our best practice. And primary residence is really, again, I think short-sighted in the way in which it's trying to achieve a certain outcome. But what we're starting to see is that the strategy that advocates and these local alliances are deploying is becoming more and more strategic and less groups are just laying on their backs and taking regulations that are possibly not within the law. And so there's a handful of groups that have been filing lawsuits. And I honestly think we're going to see more lawsuits continue to be filed in 2023 than have been before. I think it's unfortunate because it's a huge expense to the local alliance it's a, it's a taxpayer dollar expense to that community. But I'm hoping that a couple lawsuits that overturn regulations, like regulations that were passed in on Oahu and Hawaii, Lincoln, Oregon, San Diego is in the middle of a lawsuit. A handful of other destinations are in the middle of a lawsuit. My hope is that in New Orleans, I think it was just overturned the, the regulations that they had passed as well. My hope is that cities will start to wake up to that and destinations will see, you know, we have to be mindful because bad regulations that aren't actually solving for the problem that we're identifying may end up costing us a lot of money and we may find ourselves dealing with a lawsuit. And then there's negligence there on their behalf. And so I'm hoping that we start to see a little bit more big picture mindsets so that we can avoid those types of situations in this next year. Awesome. So if you achieve something in the in a small market, I guess the big takeaway for me is that might have an effect on other markets as well. Right. So it's like a, it's like a snowball effect. So that's that's really cool. So I didn't think oh my of, that, God. of that before. Yeah. Policymakers don't want to recreate the wheel. They want to see what they could learn from others and implement within their communities. And it's really unfortunate because they're not necessarily solving for the problem that they're trying to solve. 
or trying to identify. So yeah, that the copycat regulations is a really big thing. So that's why it's more important than ever to get ahead of that. And then once regulations are passed, just like for folks to realize like that doesn't mean, okay, regulations are over. Let's like retreat back to our homes. It goes on and on because there's groups that we are working with and supporting that are now seeing a, you know, rewritten ordinances in City Hall and they're considering making changes or making them more strict. I'm not seeing many communities look to to relax their regulations. So that's something to know is like this is beat there is no finish line. This is beyond an ordinance being passed. This is about building a community group that can really be built for like a long lasting sustainable endeavor. Any last thoughts you want to share before we wrap it up? I would love to just share a shameless plug for my podcast if I can, because I think your listeners are honestly like very much this demo that we are building the third season of our podcast for. The podcast is How to Save Your Vacation Rental Business. I do, I co- it's co hosted with Matt Landau and Stuart Hooper is the producer. And the first two seasons have been a little bit more masterclass style, like how to's where this third season is all about building a scorecard so that if you're considering a destination to invest for a short-term rental, it's a scorecard that's, I kind of say it's like off the spreadsheet analysis. So you're not looking at, you know, your rev par and all these other, other traditional metrics to see about the viability of that being a smart investment. But you're looking at things like community sentiment, percentage of housing inventory that's a short-term rental. Is there a local alliance? Is there positive media and positive press? And we will have a scorecard by the end of our season in the next couple of weeks where folks will actually be able to go through those questions and then rate this destination to determine the viability. And then for folks that already have a short-term rental in a destination, that they're like, God, I'm curious what my score is. They can then rate their own destination and then learn what they can do to increase their score if they happen to have a low score. And I just think it's really an important part of the conversation as we talk about you know, how to create wealth and how to diversify our real estate portfolio and you know the difference between being a, a short-term rental investor versus an Airbnb investor. It's really targeted to a new audience in a way that we hope brings a lot of value and responsibility to the industry. Awesome. Can you repeat the name one more yes, time of the podcast? How to Save Your Vacation Rental Business. How to Save Your Vacation Rental Business. Awesome. Season three coming out soon. It's right? out now. We release an episode oh, a week. Cool. So, but yeah, we're coming to an end of the season here shortly. Okay. Well, I'm definitely checking it out. And for the resources for starting your own alliance or looking up local alliances, you can go to rentresponsibly.org. That's awesome. it. Awesome, Dynamo. Thank you so much for jumping on here. It was, it was great having you as a guest, a fellow podcast host. It's always fun to have one on the show. So I appreciate your time and keep up the, all the good work that you're doing. Well, thank you so much for giving me a platform to be able to speak with your audience and share about all the resources we've been building and the tools that folks can use. Absolutely. And to the listeners, have a great week. We'll be back on Friday with another episode of Get Paid for Your Pad. Thank you so much for listening to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short-term rental professionals. We really hope you enjoyed the show. And if you want to learn more about hosting on Airbnb and building a short-term rental business, then go ahead and subscribe to our daily email newsletter 
at getpaidforyourpet.com. And if you're just starting out on Airbnb, make sure to download our free Airbnb starter guide at getpaidforyourpet.com forward slash get started. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts for a chance to win lifetime access to the Short-Term Rental Profit Academy, our starter course for anybody who wants to start an Airbnb business. Every month we select one random reviewer and give that person access to the course. Um, So if you want to have a chance to win access to the course, uh, please leave us a review and then uh, you might uh, join our program pretty soon. So thank you for listening. Check back every Monday for a new episode of The Host Show and every Friday for an episode of SDR Conversations of the Get Paid for Your Pad podcast. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet.